Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 95, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Why are some districts banning teachers from using Donors Choose? And a company wants to gamify books, making them more like Fortnite. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, why and how leaders can continue to teach in the classroom. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm going to come out and ask. I have not prepped you for this. Um, Mississippi just passed a pay raise for $1,500 for school teachers. How do you feel? I'm grateful. (laughs) (laughs) You just looked at me like... Uh, I'm grateful. Do you not want to talk about it? Well, I mean, we did already talk about this before. Right. And And that's when we thought it would be 4,000. Yes. So I I said I hate feeling like I'm complaining when it is an increase, but mm-hmm. it's still not enough. Sorry. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. We'll just <laughs> I won't I won't press. I could you know press, but I'm not going to do that to you. Um, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, teachers' lounge. What do we know besides pay raises for teachers? Well, or lack thereof. This goes hand in hand. So Education Week just put out an article stating that. Across the nation, some school districts are banning teachers' use of crowdfunding like donors choose and other pledge sends. Yeah, yeah. Other yeah. Why? So well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but the article states that Nashville City Schools, um, Metro Schools, Nashville Metro Schools, um, have just recently said no. Like they can't even get to the website. Like, they blocked it. They blocked the website. <laughs> I mean, you can still you can yeah. still set it up at home, but I guess nope. you're still violating yeah. the policy. Yes, you know? and so they, they said that they want them to look within the district um, for funding. Now, this is kind of crazy to I'm sorry. Me. Hey, can we stop? Blocking the website, that's like insulting. I like, know. Like, if you have a rule... And then they're like, we're going to, like like somebody in the yeah, IT it department was like, was like we're going to have to. You could not get to it for a month is what it said. You could not, the teachers could not get to I mean, that tre- website that's like, for that's, a month. That's like what you do to like hide cookies from your three-year-old, you know? <laughs> like that's how you're treating these teachers. That's ridiculous. Sorry, go ahead. I, well, here's what I think. I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this is ridiculous. And I know I try to always be like, all right, sunshine or whatever. But this is crazy. We are underfunded. We have teacher shortages, yeah. like, and you're going to take away our unicorn? Like, right, yeah. donors choose was our unicorn. So you're going to tell us now that, no, you don't want us to go there, mainly because I think they think it looks bad. Do you um, think that, I mean, all right, is, that, is that their logic? What's, their, well, what's their logic from a PR standpoint? Well, one of their reasonings is that teachers do not even look inward anymore within the school district. They immediately... Fill this out for donors choose, and then their wish That's is granted. That's a reflection granted, on their policies. Um, but that they never even try to get it done within the district. So mm-hmm. that's one of their main things is that we want to, and then also that it makes it hard to 
distribute funds within the district based on who's getting what from donors choose. I personally think, hey, it shouldn't matter. If a teacher goes out on her own, even to her next door neighbor and says, hey, are you not going to use all that wood? I could totally use that for my sets for theater. Right. Then you don't need to worry about that. Like if we right. if we figured it out and right. got something donated, then you don't need to worry about it. We should still get the same funding per teacher as always. Right. But they're saying it, it's difficult to allocate funds. It's difficult to... Um, Tag items that are owned by the district versus not. Um, um, it's tough not, you know, yep. not funding. So, like, oh, let's see. 81% of schools in the U.S. have at least one teacher who has listed a project on donors choose. Um, in the Nashville Metro schools, 1,100 teachers have created projects which funded a total of 1.5 million worth of classroom supplies, and that has now come to an end. That's crazy. I, I can't That's imagine. Crazy. Like, I'm outraged. I'm not in the classroom. Mm-hmm. W- are you, you seeing any outrage from these teachers in Nashville? Like, that's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. There's tons of, like, you should put the link to this article on our we'll do it. little page. Because um, it, I really, I sat today on my break reading through, like, just what everybody's saying. Because, but, I mean, I will say they're, they don't want to say this. But it is because they feel like it looks bad, you know, that it that it draws, you know, a spotlight to a black eye, which is where underfunded. And and so and of course, you know, there's parents that complain about this every year when it let's just take donors choose out of it. OK, parents complain about the fact that some of our school supplies that are on our school supply list mm. are paper towels. Yeah. You know, a ream, ream of, of copy paper. paper yeah. Right. So that should come from local school the, the funding yeah. also, but it doesn't. Right. And so... It's insanity. Th- but they, so then what, is, what does the district do? They ask us not to put that on our school supply list. Mm, okay. Because of the optics. Well, you you going to give us the paper? Like you gonna you yeah. gonna give me you gonna give me yeah. some paper tags? Don't let the parents know we don't give you guys exactly. copy paper. Yes, Shh. and I mean this is very much like within your own home where you maybe do something like you know eat too much sugar or whatever, and then tell your kids, well, don't don't let your friends know right. that we let you have this candy right before dinner. Right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Now this is this is ridiculous and. You know, the whole thing, like you said, like they were they were worried about like how do we keep track of what's donors choose and what's property of the district. Right. Like, you know, if you have a 3D printer, you probably didn't buy it if you're a school district. It's probably came from donors choose, right. you know, or something. And this is not just donors choose. I know I keep using them. Right. But it's also but they're the, they're the, all, the giant. Yeah, any kind of crowdfunding. But also they even went as far as to say that they're concerned that some of the things that have been purchased are used only for the teachers. Like that it's heaven forbid that it right that the you teachers know. are not even using it in the classroom, which is a huge slap in the face. Right. I mean, after all the just like reaching really? into their own pocket like, that, that okay. teachers do. Yes, I totally, totally I wanted that three D printer just for myself. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see a couple uh Nashville administrator positions get freed up and, and loosen up some money maybe to to help even things out up there. That's yeah. ridiculous. Well, and donors choose even put out a statement saying like, hey, it's not even possible for the teachers to pocket this money. We don't send money. That shows how much you don't know about donors choose. Yeah. We send things and they write a request 
and it's tangible things that are consumed by children. Like, what are you talking about? It's just. I would like to think that in a near future episode, we will be talking about how a place like Nashville has reversed this policy. What do you think? Do you think that's going to happen? Or is, well, is I certainly gonna, hope so. My gosh, it's going to spread. Well, how are they going to come up with one point five million in funding of all these projects that, thank, that thankfully, and, were funded? And then let's let's take a step back. Who's really suffering from all of this? Kids. Yeah. So, uh, well, that's a shame. That's a that's a frustrating one. I've got one for you. A company wants to gamify books and make them more like Fortnite. What's your general reaction to that? And I'll go into the details. Okay, so let's just take the Hunger Games. So you're saying they're going to take that novel, The Hunger Games, which is a lot like Fortnite. I mean, I do feel that, like that Fortnite. Is a, that is a very good. I do feel like Fortnite took a page or two out of The Hunger Games, probably, and from Carlton, <laughs> especially with the storm closing yeah. in and all. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Hunger Games fan. Anyway, so you're saying that they would take the book and. Have you play through sequences and that reveals the plot? So, so yes and no. I mean, really, the company is um, it's an ebook distributor called Overdrive, and he has hired um, professionals to actually study the way video games are hooking kids, and that is a thing. Like we could we could dive into this. Like, oh yeah. I mean, video it's games. I think use psychologists to. Um, you know, help design their games. They're not necessarily the psychologists aren't the ones developing stuff, mm-hmm. but I mean, the psychologist knows, um, just like, what's you gonna know, trigger a dump what, in the brain. Yeah, to, exactly. Yeah. Just like, remember even like Skinner's box with a little mouse and you would hit the lever and something would come out, but it wouldn't happen every time there's, you know, that's the way they design video games and with the rewards, the rewards are random mm-hmm. often. So, all right, if I just stay up a little longer, I might mm-hmm. trigger this reward. Well, what if we put the same type of stuff inside books and, digital books to where you would earn badges and earn things as you read along. So I think that's what they're going for. Is that a bad thing? No. I think it's a good thing. I mean, I'll say I like the website Mm IXL.com. They have science, language, math, uh, tons of other stuff. And the more you work on that site as a student, it unlocks badges and little stickers, cute little animals, and the kids all compare it at school. Like, right. yeah, I got the narwhal, you know, and another child's like, what? There's a narwhal? Yeah. So then they're and like, yeah. And kid's like, what's a narwhal? <laughs> right. I love how people say they're not real. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, um, especially if you have a digital classroom, you know, to where everybody is reading their books on an iPad or some kind of a device. Um I don't think that that's a bad idea at all. I, I question, like, so what gives a Fortnite value? Like, I mean, there's lots of video games. Skins. Well, no, that's but what they all want. What gives they a, all want skins. What gives so a skin value? So if you value? read certain amount of chapters, you get to unlock the skin right. on your But what avatar. gives that value? What gives the skins value? Yeah. Just showing off. Exactly. Showing I, I off think, to and, other players. And I'm going to blow your mind here, and you, I may have, Stop me if I if I've already told you this, but I liken a skin in Fortnite to a diamond ring. Stick with me here. So I, I don't wear diamonds. All right, right. <laughs> but but society says when you get married, you're supposed to give mm-hmm. your fiance a diamond ring. Why does the diamond have value? Because you can show it off. Because you want people to know I got married. Look at this. Look how big it is. Look how shiny it is. Look how sparkly it is. I feel like skins in Fortnite are the same thing. So. I'm saying all this because it's tough to have 
another Fortnite. There's, I mean, there's lots of video games out there that fail. So, I mean, you have the only thing that's going to make these badges worth something is if in society, in the classroom society, there is something that you can show off. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to, that's hard to know what that is. Like, yeah. how is, why is one kid going to brag about the badges he got in the book? Now, maybe they will. I don't want to discourage anybody, but, you know, like, I think that's really the challenge. I gotcha. Yeah. I know, like, on the, the class dojo, system they mm-hmm. all have their own little avatar monster that is yeah projected do you on see the them screen. do they like brag about it they can see each other's yeah. little person and yeah. they can change their outfits and i don't know now i don't know enough to know if those outfits come with better behavior they get to unlock more outfits on their little avatar but i mean it could be something very similar where the book but, shows your top you know but your do, you, do you see kids like proud of their outfit in class dojo yeah, yeah, they're like, real proud of their like, avatar. Yeah. Are they like, hey, look at my avatar, it looks mm-hmm. cooler than yours, or yeah. I got this new yeah. whatever. And even with, I mean, even if you just take the gaming out of it, even with AR reading, mm-hmm. students are very, very proud yeah, of how many points. AR points they well, have. That's good. Yeah. And of course, you know, teachers are encouraged to display that in the classroom as an incentive for more, right. for more children to read more. Same with multiplication facts. Every school has some kind of a, you know, you get a scoop on your ice cream sundae in the hallway or you get a, you know, flower on your cactus if you're sticking it to the multiplication facts. So I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Well, and that's the goal of this ebook distributor overdrive. And I think we're going to see more of that. It's not going to probably just apply to books. It'll probably apply to, uh, to other things as well. Are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Yeah. We are talking to a gentleman who just wrote an article about why it's important for principals to still get back into the classroom. And I don't mean observe. I mean teach. Do you yeah. see that happen? Uh, no. Where they take over a day or something or take over a lesson. I'll ask them. We'll find out. No, I don't see that. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment has over 40 years of experience as an educator, author, and consultant. And today he's making the case for leaders to continue to teach in the classroom. Jeffrey Benson is from Boston. And recently he had an article featured in Educational Leadership titled Instructional Leaders Teach Again. Jeffrey, welcome to Class Dismissed. Nice to be here. Now you are recommending that that leaders uh, should carve out some of their time for classroom teaching, and I want to try to win over the naysayers before anyone turns us off with the first question: How much time are you talking about, and and how do you make that time? Because I have a feeling that's what everyone's thinking right now when they hear that. Right. So there's two parts to that question. Obviously, how much time is it going to take, and how do you carve it out? So I want to come back to this notion, or start with the notion that. Educational reform is a building-by-building activity that all schools have their own cohorts, um, stakeholders, mythologies, schedules, geometry, geography, resources, etc. And so it really isn't something where I can come in and say this is two hours a week or four hours a week. It's more to start with the intention of, yes, I want to do that. So I want to start with first, I think there are a lot of people who are out of the classroom who don't actually want to go back in. And so if you're an instructional leader who knows that you burned out, you were done, you've done your work in the classroom, yay, thank you very much for the years of service you put in the classroom, and it was time to move on, and you don't want to go back in the classroom, I'm not asking you to go back into the classroom, although I think it's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. I do want to speak to those of you who actually long a little 
for getting back into the classroom. And I was able to, I was in a situation as a school leader or as I, I was able to do that. I couldn't do it every semester. So let me speak a little about context. Probably easier to do in middle school or high school where you can teach a particular section of a course. You can be the English teacher for a group of students. Um, you can be a math teacher um, for one group of students. You also can do electives. That's another place where instructional leaders can still stay in the classroom without feeling as if you are taking on a gigantic burden. And, and let me stop you real quick. When you say instructional leaders, let's define that for anybody who, who might be questioning that. Are we, are we talking about like math coaches in the district office or people in an individual school basis? What are you thinking? So, yeah, I'm thinking anyone whose job it is, and I will say this as provocatively as I can, to change other people's way of working. So that's principals sometimes. It's often instructional coaches, principals, despite the effort in about 10 years ago to make principals or um, influence principals to be instructional leaders, most principals have far too much on their plate to do that intense depth of work. So oftentimes it's subcontracted out to instructional coaches and they can be at a building level, they can be at a district level, they may be department-based, they may be grade-level-based, it might be an assistant principal doing it. There are still some principals who say, this is really important that I do this, that I maintain a presence with the staff as a coach slash mentor. Um, so to any of, any of those people who are saying, my job is to help a teacher become a better teacher. So, so you've kind of defined, you know, who these people are and, and that you're not asking them to teach at all times. It's maybe on a subject level here and there. We can kind of get in. But, but how do you even make that time, even if it is a few hours a week? Let me come back now. So this is, this is my um, formula for this, is that the leadership team sits down with each other and says, we think it's really important that the benefits of somebody who's an instructional coach also teaching part-time is worth our effort to make that happen. So let's look at this person's schedule. So let's say we need four hours to be in the classroom a week. How do we carve four hours out of this person's schedule? Let's take a look. We have all of these things that we have to do anyhow. So can we give the person a couple of less lunch duties? Can we take them off of beginning of school duty? Can we pull back on the other people who they're coaching? So instead of coaching 15 teachers, maybe they're coaching 9 or 10 or 11 teachers, and we carve out from here and there and say, we can make this happen. Because I, I want to start off with that notion of intention. I start off with the fact as a principal and as a school leader, there's more than you can do anyhow. There's Never, you have 100 hours of tasks to do in a given work week, and you know, maybe you're working 65. You're always got too much to do. So, I'm suggesting that given setting priorities, if you push this one up as a priority, you can make it happen. You would compromise, you would push off, you'd delegate something else in order to make this happen. I know you recommend, uh, you know, in terms of saving time, teach to an area of your strength. Don't don't go wade into a topic that you're not familiar with. Absolutely. Um, one, because you probably are really good at it, and the students who will have you will benefit greatly from your expertise and wisdom. It also means that you're going to be doing a little less preparation time because you know this stuff really well. So it's not going to be the first time you're teaching something. You know where your moves are. You know 
where your strengths are. Oftentimes, as an instructional coach, I would say to new teachers who are teaching a curriculum, there are three factors involved here. You're teaching a lesson. It goes poorly. You don't know if that's this group of students that you didn't have a good read on this group of students. It wasn't in their developmental zone, but it was on the curriculum. So you're teaching it to a group of kids, and it's not the right lesson for them. It could be that it's you, that you don't know how to teach this lesson, yet it's your first time through. Or it could be that the lesson itself has some flaws in it that you would need to adapt. You don't know that the first time through. Usually it takes two or three times of teaching a lesson to know what's me, what's the lesson, what's this group of kids to find the right match for that. Um, There are some lessons that we all do that will work for almost any group of kids because they're great lessons. And then some lessons are particular for particular groups of kids in particular times of the year. So what I'm suggesting is that veteran teachers, school leaders, know a lot of lessons that work well. They know who they are. They know what the curriculum is. They will be able to do lesson planning and follow through much more efficiently than a novice teacher. Yeah, I can't help but think of, um, it's almost like when you hear about these people who maybe are former politicians or uh, retired attorneys or retired generals who maybe like show up at a college and teach a course, you know? Oh my God. Is that kind of what you're thinking? (laughs) No, No? quite the opposite. Okay. Because they have no... They, they don't know anything about pedagogy. Gotcha. That's a fair point. And I'm expecting that all the people who are instructional coaches are steeped in good pedagogy. So they can know a group of kids, look at the, look at the curriculum, whether it's assigned or they're constructing it, and pretty quickly say, okay, I know I'm going to open with this. I know here are the potential questions the kids are going to ask. I know here's in my toolkit of how to differentiate for a group of different kids. And here's what I'm going to do is exit tickets usually for this group. I also know how often I'm probably going to have to do assessments. I'm a veteran. I don't have to assess every scrap of paper the kids do because I know what's relevant for assessment. And that's one of the other things that instructional leaders can do in the classroom is they can model not overwhelming yourself with endless amount of assessments to do, to use the salient ones and to streamline it so that your focus and the time you're spending is on how to make a good lesson and how to reach out to the kids. I love your reaction to that, by the way. That was very funny. Um, so so you're, you're, we're talking about doing this. Why is this important? Oh, boy. There's so many good reasons for doing this. So let me start with a few. One is the kids who you teach will have the benefit of being taught by a master teacher. And we always talk about how important it is for kids to be with master teachers. I would recommend, in fact, that if you're an instructional coach and you're taking on a job, that you actually work with a group of kids who are most in need of a master teacher. Don't take the honors class because they're going to do pretty well with most teachers. And I know I'm making a broad generalization there. So one is that those kids are going to have a great year. Second part is that you get so much um, leverage working with your staff because they're going to say you're out there doing the work as well. They will respect you more. They will listen to you more. When you bring other things up, they're going to say, well, he knows what the work is like. So when I go into your class as an instructional coach and I say, hey, can you try this or can you do this? As a teacher, I'm saying, hey, that guy's walking his talk now. Right. He Street does it himself. Red. Yeah. The third part is that, and I want to speak to this of my experience as a, a principal who got to teach one course in a high school, is I could say to my staff at a staff meeting, let's try this thing out. And then I could go to my class and try it out. And I could go back to my staff and say, whoa, I struggled to do that one hour a day. I realize this is going to be really hard for you guys to do five hours a day. 
I think the key to this, and this is a deep part of my um, belief about leadership and power, is that you forget really fast what it's really like to be a teacher. And teaching is a very, very hard, complex task. And we overload teachers with initiatives. And we say, well, you can just do this thing. One more thing you can do. And you just forget that one more thing is a lot. And where does that one more thing fit into the day? And how do you shape that? And how do you say it's doable because I'm doing it too. And I know what the struggle is. So in fact, not only do I know what the struggle is, but I can tell you how I'm struggling with it. So the other part of that is that you engender then much more honest conversations with staff. If you go into the English department meeting because you're teaching an English course and you can say, I've been struggling with figuring out how to teach Huck Finn this year. I know it's on the curriculum, but I'm struggling with the language in the book. Has anyone else done that? Or I'm struggling with um, the district test that's coming up about this. Um, what ideas do people have? And you're modeling um, that collegial sort of practical thinking together, um, which is just a gift to give to your staff. One other argument for why to do this, I think is one that um, maybe people don't always think of that, that you mentioned, and that's improving your mental health. Right. Oh, thanks for mentioning that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the best thing about schools is the relationships we have with students and being with them and seeing them grow and having those great aha moments. And it's great to do them with adults. You know, as an instructional coach, you get some of that with adults. But the best thing about schools are the kids and adding to your repertoire of stories and knowing you're doing good direct work and direct service is such a lovely thing to get to do. Get out of the office, get away from the computer, get in front of kids. It's what we should do. I always recommend to uh, principals, if even if you know they're not teaching, get out of your office. Like in an elementary school, go hang out with the kindergarten kids. That's if true. you're in secondary yeah. school, go watch a drama class. Go watch the kids in art class. Go watch kids be kids. Um, so have a class of your own. Fun. That's the part, like I started off with saying, if you're burned out, if you need a break from being in the classroom, understood. But I don't want you to forget that probably good days of teaching, there's nothing like it. You know, get, get the, you know, um, endorphin high of having a good day of teaching. It beats filling out forms any day of the week. Right. Well, Jeffrey, I think you make a very uh, compelling case. And most importantly, I think you have some good ideas on how to make time to do this as well. Um, you have another um, article coming out, I think, next month in um, educational leadership, and that's going to be on working with teens. What can we look forward to there? Uh, I'm excited about that one. Um, I'll give you the, the premise that all the rules that we have in schools um, to hold our teenagers in check end up being so many that it actually puts the staff in conflict with each other. And what we really need is a small number of rules that everyone holds as sacrosanct and then a lot of leeway for teachers to make and use their professional discretion in working in context. And to do so means that we look at really how much control we want to put over students and to also accept the fact that we don't have much uniformity in school when it comes to compliance with rules. So stop pretending good. <laughs> be, like that it. we actually have it. We, may yeah. we definitely have to get you back on the show to talk about that. Um, if people want to keep That's up with question. you, um, what's a good place to do that? Your website or are you on Twitter? My website. Nah, we go to my website, jeffreybenson.org, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-B-E-N-S-O-N.org. 
it has links to all of my articles, my books, my interviews, as well as you can write to me directly through um, the website. And I love writing back to people. I love being in touch with educators all over it. It's what sustains me listening to the stories and the hard work people are doing. I am honored to be in among colleagues all over the country and the world. Well, I love it. Uh, Jeffrey, we appreciate your time. Are you ready for our pop quiz? You bet. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Health. Health. Okay. I, I don't know that we've had that one out of 90 plus shows. It's Why from is that? what my grandfather used to say to me. He said, you know, if you get nothing else, you got to have health. Okay, good. Um, what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Uh, um, the way to learn the science of strategies of effort what does every child deserve to be treated with exquisite respect what's the biggest challenge for today's educators um managing all of the diversity of children in terms of their developmental cultural and um, cognitive needs in classes that are far too large to be able to do that. Just curious, what do you think is a, the right class size? 15. 15, okay. Um, With another teacher. Two teachers, 15 students. Or uh, two adults. Okay, gotcha. Um, what's the best gift to give an educator? <sighs> Listening. Which teacher changed your life? Oh, two or three. I would say my third grade teacher, Ms. O'Connor, I had a teacher for the first half of the year who was making my life hell and I hated school. And, you know, I was eight years old. I came back from Christmas vacation and there was a new teacher. And the story was that the previous teacher had retired. Now I'm, I know better that they probably counseled her out. She was probably burned out and was taking it out on us. Miss O'Connor came in and for whatever reason, she liked me and she laughed at my jokes and she realized all I wanted to do was like be liked and my jokes were not meant to be disruptive, but to be connected. And she made me feel like what I had to say was important and made me feel smart. And when your teacher gives you that sense of confidence, you begin to act that way. And was there another teacher you wanted to mention as well? Um, yeah, in college, I had uh, a teacher who became my mentor. I have a superpower, which is I've kept mentors through my life. And that, that another, is a superpower. Good job. It's a wonderful superpower. My mentors have helped me walk on the planet in a different way. And I remember one time, and he was a, he was a very charismatic teacher, but I remember him looking at me one time and saying, wow, I have to really think about what you said. That was really interesting. You know, it wasn't like you're right or you're wrong, but you're... What you said, Jeffrey, mattered to me and actually is influencing how I think. What a gift. Yeah, I wish yeah. kids heard that from their teachers all the time. 90% of questions we ask kids in school are guess what the teacher's thinking questions. What we really need to be asking kids a lot is, tell me what you're thinking. I am fascinated by your thoughts. Last question, pen or pencil? Oh, pen, for sure. Pencils scrape. They're so um, rough and they smudge, but pens are elegant and smooth and sensual. Again, the uh, website's jeffreybenson.org. Uh, Mr. Benson, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with us. I uh, love your thoughts, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show in the future. My pleasure. Hope to see you again. 
That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class Dismissed!